I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. Each week until November's presidential election, the Ashcroft in America team is visiting a crucial state to hear what the local voters think about the choice before them. The second stop on the tour is North Carolina. It's a state that has been the focus of national attention over the past week, with the governor declaring a state of emergency after a police shooting led to riots on the streets of Charlotte, the state's biggest city. Later, we'll hear what local voters made of these events, and of course, the first presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. One solidly Republican, North Carolina has become one of the most fiercely competitive states in the nation. If Hillary Clinton can win it back for the Democrats, it could assure her of victory. We're here to find out what the mood is like in a state that could decide who next occupies the White House. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and I'm here in Raleigh, North Carolina's state capital, with Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst and columnist for Time magazine. Hello again, Elise. Hello again, Kevin. This week on the Ashcroft in America podcast, we'll talk about the local state of play with Jim Morrill, political reporter for the Charlotte Observer. We'll hear Lord Ashcroft's interview with the veteran Democratic campaign operative Joe Trippi. A group of African-American voters will tell us how they see the election, and we'll get a taste of how undecided voters reacted to the first presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. The debate was watched by a record 84 million viewers, and it's dominated the week's news. The morning after the debate, Trump phoned into the Fox News morning show to double down on his response to Clinton's criticism of his treatment of a former Miss Universe he called Miss Piggy, telling the host she gained a massive amount of weight and it was a real problem. His surrogate Newt Gingrich came to Trump's defense saying, you are not supposed to gain 60 pounds the year you're Miss Universe. In other news, third-party libertarian candidate Gary Johnson made headlines when he couldn't name a single world leader he admired, and the State Department announced that another 1,850 pages of Hillary Clinton's secret emails would be released on November the 3rd, just days before the election. Jim Morrill is a political reporter for the Charlotte Observer who has closely followed the presidential race in North Carolina. I spoke to Jim about the issues resonating with voters in this swing state with 15 electoral college votes. Obviously, people are concerned about security and the economy and things like that. But in North Carolina, I think a lot of the vote is going to be based on state issues like a a voting law that the Republican legislature passed and was later overturned by a federal court that would have restricted uh, voting and required photo IDs and stuff like that. Um, And also, there's a peculiar bill here in North Carolina known as HB2. Some people call it the bathroom bill, and it involves uh, the the access of uh, transgender people in particular to bathrooms that, uh, of their choice. And more, more broadly, it, it restricts the rights of cities like Charlotte and, and Raleigh to uh, uh, put in safeguards to the LGBT community. So it's a pretty wide-ranging bill, and it's uh, really caused a lot of backlash, and, and we've had uh, sports games that we've lost here. Companies have uh, opted out of coming to North Carolina. 
the cost has been put into the tens of millions of dollars and lost uh, economic opportunity because of this one bill. And over the past week, we've seen the governor impose a state of emergency following the riots in Charlotte after the police shooting of Keith Scott. What effect, if any, do you think these events will have on the election here in North Carolina, particularly among minority voters? That's a good question, and that's one that we're all waiting to see what happens. You know, um, on the one hand, it could fire people up to vote. On the other hand, it could um, increase cynicism about the electoral process because the people that are in the streets and people who are protesting are mad at both parties. Um, You know, the, the, the city of Charlotte is run by Democrats, but... They were furious at the mayor and at the city council uh, just a few days ago. There was almost a there was a furious meeting at city hall and uh, you know city council meeting and uh, so people are mad at all sides and I don't know whether that'll increase voting among minorities or actually keep people away. Um, you know, on the other side, it sort of fires up people who believe in what Donald Trump calls law and order. You know, it, it uh, I think this whole thing is sort of gotten uh, Republicans more unified behind behind him uh, and behind their party, which has always had more of a law and order stance. So at this point in the race, if you had to predict who was going to win North Carolina's 15 electoral votes in the presidential election, who would you say stands the best chance? Well, it's always hard to predict, especially for me, but, um, you know, given North Carolina's history and, uh, um, I would say Trump could eke it out a little bit uh, with a narrow win. Um, you know, for all the advantages that, that Hillary Clinton might have on the ground, um, you know, this is still a pretty conservative state, um, a state that passed an amendment a couple of years ago against uh, gay marriage. Um, and so um, all things being equal, which they never are, I would think Trump might have a little bit of an advantage here, but it could go either way. Our first focus groups this week are with African-American voters. First, they talked about the recent police shooting here in North Carolina and what such incidents told them about the criminal justice system. I've been an African-American. I've grown up in this country for 27 years. It's not new. I grew up knowing that African-Americans kind of just anonymously get killed from time to time. And it's something that I'm not okay with, but it's a fact of life. And I don't think that these shootings that the police have done is something brand new. I just think social yeah. media has brought a lot yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, we have to be able to trust that our police officers aren't going to target us or abuse this stop and frisk. And do you trust that at the moment here? No. No. Mm-mm. No way. If the police make a mistake, they need to be disciplined. They, you, can't, you can't just not uh, let it go because they're a police officer. You, they got. They need to be punished if they make a mistake. And, and instead of punishing, they trying to cover it up. When you come from where I come from, Prince George's County, and I've seen many guys just be stopped for no reason at all, I, I and be harassed. They discussed how well served they felt by current political leaders, and in particular, what if anything had changed under President Obama. 
it's, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't believe that people would actually vote a straight ticket at this point. Like, you, you, right. you got to understand, like, there are all right. these people that are like really not working for you in mm-hmm. any way. Yeah. Um, exactly. They just have the D or the R next to their mm-hmm. name, and it's like it doesn't really, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's an assumption that like this person, Democratic, means they weren't from the black people. It's like, mm-hmm. where's you know, be an issue voter. Yeah. yeah, the debate is like rich people. Problems like I, I felt like that's what they were discussing more. So I didn't feel like anything they said really would be beneficial to me. Uh, when when we see the country's getting worse, I don't think that you look at the economy. I feel like that's that's pretty good. I feel like people have the same opportunities they've had for many many years. I think that what sensationalizes some of the violence and things that are happening. Um, which has absolutely nothing to do with who's in charge because there's an African-American charge right now mm-hmm. and these things are still happening. And I think that what people, what I feel like people need to learn is over the last eight years we've had this African-American president. These, these things have been this way, but they are still the way they are. You know, it lifts your spirits, inspires you to be better. Let you know, oh, there is a chance for me. But in general, when I look at him being a president, there's nothing that he's done that affected my life personally. Now, maybe like some relatives who are lower income or something, like, something of that nature, but there's nothing that he's done changed my life in any capacity. But I'm, I'm looking at all the presidents in my lifetime. It didn't really affect my personal, a lot of them didn't really affect my personal life anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you look at mm-hmm. back at Ron, uh, Reaganomics. I was still doing. I was doing all right doing when Reagan Reagan administration, the Bush administration. I mean, it, it had some effect for us taxes and all that, but for us just be personally going down, ain't no president affected me like that. I kind of feel like that. I'm I'm over that like feeling. Like we see what it feels like to have something different. In <laughs> yeah, that feeling. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the same thing. Like by, I think by that's another problem you know that saying? makes this so dangerous is people yeah. feel like now they've had this black person, they're ready to go back to what they know, which is all the other white guys, all the other fat white guys that have been in the. You know, want somebody. To <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the recent events, like. Uh, as far as like uh, with policing, uh, that has really discouraged like a lot of black people from voting, especially when we look at like how things are handled. And, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm I, I'm saying that's a distraction because I feel like um, we look at it as like okay, well they're not even arresting people that are killing us like what does my vote really matter does it really count if i go out and i was a cop and i went shot you i mean what's he going to call me on a house phone like <laughs> yeah but this is what it people doesn't this yeah, are the it, state of mind yeah, like they i think they're really thinking deeper than just like we, right but we have a black president now and this happening yeah. though most of the people in this group said they would probably end up voting for hillary clinton none was very enthusiastic about her as a candidate She's just trying to, prove, she's just trying to be the first lady president. Yeah. Yeah. She wanna she wanna break history. She's kinda shady though. Yeah, she is. She, she's kinda shady. I she's shady. Um, looking out for the well being of children. Her husband is too much in it too. I don't think too many people from the same family need to go to the White House. They need to one is enough, you know. Bush yeah, dynasty. Yeah, just too much. You know, they trying to build a dynasty. All of them really want power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they really want. Trump is a power fanatic. Yeah. Hillary Clinton, she's kind of, she want power too. If these voters were not wild about Hillary, they were pretty clear what they thought about her opponent. 
on his on his slogan he running, make America great again. We gonna get back America. Who you gonna get back America from? It's like he's he's wanting to put black people back to where they belong. That's no. what that's what I said. That's what I where they belong. Uh, well, 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 he, he think, think they belong. belong. This is what Trump is doing. He's exciting emotion. He can get the lowest emotion out of someone, and that's why people are elbowing people at these mm-hmm. at these at these town hall meetings. And if you look at history, there is there was someone in Europe that did something very similar that was very effective. And we're talking, and I'll be very specific here. We're talking. You look at Hitler. Oh, I don't think he's playing a card. I think he's being directly just. A bigot. Yes, he's a bigot. He's a direct yes. bigot. Yes. He's attacking yes. other people. This country was yes. based on, you know, getting away from religious persecution and coming to a country where you could be free and you could be safe. And that is not what's going to happen. I think he's trying to go back to the 50s before Civil Rights Acts. He wants to go back to just dividing the colors and, okay. you know, just be afraid. Ashley Bell is the senior strategist at the Republican Party responsible for reaching out to African-American voters. I put it to him that he had a tough job on his hands. Well, you know, this is a a job that is always going to be tough for the Republican nominee. You know, this is uh, in America. You always have these these cycles every four years. uh, You have the Democrats uh, do everything they can to paint whoever our nominee is as racist, as as, as discriminatory against minorities, anti-women. That's that is play one and two in the Democratic playbook. So we have to be ready uh, to combat that. And I think we have a nominee that is, uh, especially because of his ties to the black community prior to becoming our nominee. You know, I think that uh, we haven't had a nominee as equipped uh, to use his connections and have a already uh, imprinted image in black people's minds about who he is and what he stands for before he decides to get into office instead of after the fact. So that's our number one tool. If you look at um, you know who Donald Trump is and, and the properties that he's owned around this country, many people of color have worked for him. They visited the properties. They know his name. Uh, he's become so much of a, somewhat of an icon even in the hip hop generation. I mean, think that many of us who grew up in that generation, there's countless songs that we grew up listening to, references uh, to Donald Trump in a positive manner, or someone that people look up to. Uh, then his affiliations with 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 professional footballs, affiliations with professional boxing, and and, and many of the things that black people see as a part of our mainstream culture, uh, they they understand that he's someone who who is um, is familiar with the black community. And I think even so, it, so it gives us at least a chance to have that conversation. I think if Republicans are at least given the chance to have that conversation, then we can do better. Romney, I think, won six percent of black voters in 2012. If you look back. In 1956, Eisenhower, I think, won 40% of the black vote, and even Nixon got around one in three. What accounts for that historical change, do you think, and what could be done to reverse it? Well, I, you know, I think I think Nixon was particular um, just because he, he missed some opportunities, and I think that's always been Republicans' challenge, is taking advantage of the opportunities we have to build bridges in the black community. I think Nixon, when he missed his opportunity with uh, uh, his assistance to Dr. King, that 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 definitely was a, a moment that you saw the tide turning even more. And I think since then there were the, the policies of the Republican Party uh, necessarily haven't been that far out of line with with where Black people are, except that they they got a bad rap on civil rights when in actuality there was a Republican Congress that passed the Civil Rights Act, but the messaging on it was all wrong. So I think that kind of led to it, and I think now um, you see 
uh, Mitt Romney and John McCain were running against the first president. That that is a significant hurdle in itself. But I think all polling shows us that you know Barack Obama is not on the ballot, even though he's supporting someone on the ballot. That is uh, there's a window of opportunity here um, that people will debate whether or not it's close or not this close to the election. But I think that at least now um, we can look back and say that um, you know. Barack Obama not being on the ballot, we have an opportunity. The question is, can we take advantage of it? Hillary Clinton is also well known in the black community, but I but I think her record, when it, especially when it comes to the issue of mass incarceration, is 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 something that um, that gives us a segment of the black population that is definitely willing to listen to it. You yourself moved over from the Democrats four years ago. What made you switch? Well, you know, for me, it, I've always been uh, what used to be a Southern conservative democrat and that, and i think you used to used to have a lot of those back in the 80s and 90s and i think that in 2010 was the the end of that that era um primarily because of obamacare you know i think i heard obama 2008 um primarily because i thought his approach to health care he, he was against mandates uh that was the big difference between hillary clinton and barack obama in the primary which she was for mandates he was not but then when you when he actually had a chance to govern and um, I think he just didn't understand how D.C. worked, and it showed me how there was a little bit of naivete there because the Democrats in Congress were going to do what they wanted to do, and I think that was well-documented between Speaker of the House and Harry Reid, um, the infamous call where he calls them and tells them, you know, let's talk about health care, and they put him on mute, and they pretty much talk to themselves. And next thing you know, we had a bill that we were going to figure out what it was in it after we passed it, and I think that was a massive government overreach. I've always been someone who believes, uh, and I think this is the choice that people have today between Hillary Clinton and and and, and, and Donald Trump, is that I'm going to choose a candidate who supports me making the choices for my family and me making the choices for my health and well-being over someone who tells me they can make that choice for me. Here in North Carolina, we've seen protests and even riots following the police shooting of Keith Scott last week. Do you think these events will have a bearing on how black voters see the presidential election? I think I, I think it will. Uh, I, I think that it taps in very specifically to millennials, and I think it's been well documented that you know the millennial population is what was the extra three to four percent that gave you know President Obama a, a boost in '08 and in '12, and and I don't think you will see that uh, for Hillary Clinton. I think it's is is kind of graved in stone the image that many of the many of the millennials see when. The young black girl attends the Hillary Clinton fundraiser in Carolinas, and she holds up a sign and saying "Black Lives Matter" and asks her to apologize for mass incarceration. And Hillary Clinton looks at this young black child. You want to talk? You just want to? You just want to say what you want to say? And kind of just kind of dismisses her and kind of you know tells her she's out of line. That was a moment that I think that any other politician would have embraced to talk to that young black child and try to tell her and explain to her her position and talk about how we're going to fix it. But that wasn't the approach. And I think many of us remember that moment and remember that this is a generation who's not inclined to just give you a vote because you're a Democrat. And because of that, it gives Republicans an opening, but it also gives third parties an opening. I think they're wide. They're open for everybody to compete for. And if we can have that same competition that we're having amongst millennials, with black voters of every age demographic, I think the Republican Party can have a, a definite road into the black community, a permanent road in, in, going into the future. Donald Trump said that African-American communities are in the worst shape they've ever been. And he actually asked, what the hell have you got to lose by trying something new like Trump? How's that message going down in your experience? So when I think when he talks to uh, black Americans about what do you have to lose, I, I, Donald Trump's the master of gaining a headline. Um, and I think that that statement is 
as as stark as it was, as, as sharp as it was, did gain the attention. And I can honestly say that I haven't been on a radio interview yet with hasn't come up. So it, it must have permeated. And so people are asking the question, what do you have to lose? In barbershops, they're asking it. At beauty parlors, they're asking it at church. And they say, well, Donald Trump said that. So let's have that conversation. So once again, this is a candidate who can knows how to start a conversation. And that is a conversation that I think we're willing to have. That is a conversation I think that we can win voters on. And, you know, we're, we're optimistic, but we're realistic. You know, we don't need to get 95% of the black vote like the Democrats do. The Democrats don't get 95% of the black vote. They lose Pennsylvania. They lose all the swing states that they need to get to 270. If we can get do better than Mitt Romney and get into 10, 12%, this complete, this race changes. So that, that, that puts Missouri on our side, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, and uh, Ohio. So we think that there's an opening there. We think there's an opening of African-Americans who are saying, you know what? Everybody I see on TV telling me not to vote for Donald Trump because he's a racist or because he's uh, a sexist or whatever. These are people who have different priorities than I do. These are people who go to private school and they're well taken care of. These are people who don't have the same concerns I do about my neighborhood or locking my door at night. So let me ask myself, will I allow them to make the decision for me or should I take into my own hand what this vote that was fought for and died for means to me? In the debate on Monday, Hillary Clinton accused Donald Trump of having a long record of engaging in racist behaviour, including the idea, uh, promoting the idea that President Obama wasn't born in the US. Has that been uh, a distraction? Has that made it harder to engage African-American voters? Well, I think Donald Trump acknowledged it was a distraction, which is the reason he wanted to put it into it and say that the president was born in the United States. But the Clinton campaign is their goal is to distract black voters away from the key issues when talking about health care, education and foreign policy. They want to distract from all of that. They want to distract from from her foils in office and focus on these distractions. Um, it, it's not really realistic. And people get this. People get she's just playing politics because, you know, people know, well, if he was so racist and, and you thought he was this racist person for decades and decades, um, what do we say about you who attends the wedding of a racist person? Uh, what do we say about you who attends, goes to the home and is friends with the racist person, is best friends with the racist person? That's not the image she wants you to believe. She wants you to believe that she's the most inclusive person who would never talk to anyone who would say anything negative about people of color. So that she is, is talking out of both sides of her mouth on that. So if, if this was your friend or this was someone who was well-respected in your circles in New York, someone who you asked for money when you needed help, then it doesn't really mesh that you knew that he and thought he was this racist person for all these decades. But all of a sudden, um, you know, you want to take his money and go to his, go to his wedding. That's not that's just not true, and that's just that's just to put his blame politics. I think people see right through it. Joe Trippi first started working on American elections when Ted Kennedy stood in the Democratic presidential primary in 1980. As campaign manager for Howard Dean in 2004, Joe was credited with pioneering the use of the internet to harness small donors to finance candidates who could challenge established politicians. Lord Ashcroft asked him about the impact of technology on political campaigning. Uh, it's changed everything. I think it's changed how we select our nominees. I think that's why one of the reasons Trump is the nominee, and it's also one of the reasons Bernie Sanders came so close to toppling Hillary Clinton. If you... Uh, the networks in the parties that existed for decades are weakening and you can now spin up a new network of millions of people by hitting a hot button. I'm going to 
ban all Muslims. I'm going to uh, build a wall and we're going to ship everybody out and let the good ones back, or I'm going to burn down Wall Street. And you only need a few million people to come together on the Internet around that hot button and decide to fund it or fund that campaign. And that's why I think Trump, uh, the rest of the candidates like Rubio and uh, uh, Bush and Kasich were operating in the old networks, uh, uh, the evangelical uh, church network, uh, the donor networks uh, that had been developed in the party. And all of a sudden there's a guy who comes along and his network doesn't take 10 years to build or a decade. He can spin it up in a month, and, he, and, and, and Trump did. And the same thing. Hillary Clinton has this network of black churches and, and, and networks within the party, the donor network like no other in the Democratic Party. And here's Bernie Sanders basically saying, let's take down Wall Street. And you only need three or four million people to say, yeah, and here's my $10 to help you do it. And suddenly he's raising as much money or nearly as much money as, as she was. And his network is, is at war with the existing networks in the party. I think this isn't the strange, weird election that everybody thinks. This is how they all will be moving forward. And it's the power of the Internet. So you can, you know, the, terif the terrifying uh, thing if you're in our politics now is, a Kanye West uh, versus uh, a basketball star. Uh, why not? They can spin up uh, uh, their own networks, their own social media followings, and, um, and you know. So we're now to celebrity uh, or what or hot button uh, politics. That I think it was not what I envisioned when I started. I thought it was going to be an empowering thing for the for people at the bottom of the, the power structure, and, uh, and it certainly has been, but it's now also being manipulated, I think, by, uh, by people who know how to hit hot buttons and, and get people to follow them. If you're looking at the, the future is going to have weaker party candidates and stronger insurgents, it's now that the table has tipped, and I think we're going to see, it won't just be Donald Trump, Donald Trump's not maybe one of the first of these kind of candidates, but I think we're going to see very more. I, I also think what could happen is because the turnout is so low in these primaries that we could start to get to general elections where voters in November look at each other and go, what happened? How, how did this is our, how did, we're already seeing this time. This is our choice. Um, well, if you think that this time, I think it's going to, that gap is even going to get wider in the future as the internet spawns these hot button candidates. On, on the Democratic side, it seemed during the primaries and even up to the Philadelphia Convention that Bernie's supporters were somewhat more passionate than Hillary Clinton's. Do you think she can harness the energy of Sanders supporters without alienating the general election result? Well, she's harnessed the, uh, the bulk of their votes. Most of the polls show her getting 70, 80, uh, and some of them even 90% of the Bernie's supporters. What she hasn't been able to do and what the concern would be is the inner the energy part of it, is her vote energized, excuse me, energized enough uh, to come out. Um, uh, the last poll, few polls have uh, uh, Trump supporters, 59% uh, of them are very excited about voting for him, and she's about 47% of her support. She's got more support, but 47% are excited about it. Now that often 
can mean his vote turns out uh, and votes uh, more aggressively than, than Hillary's. Uh, and now if she has a five-point lead going into Election Day, that, that differential won't matter much. But she desperately and I think definitely needs to get that energy level up. That's why I think you'll see Barack Obama, you'll see Joe Biden, you'll see every tool, every uh, uh, supporter of that uh, strength, you know, th with those kind of names out there uh, campaigning hard, and she's going to have to do it as well to get her vote out. Uh, but now looking forward to future elections in the United States, what do you think a winning Democratic electoral coalition looks like in terms of demographics, geography, and ideology? And can it hold together its traditional voting groups while becoming the party of what you might call the professional classes? Well, I, I think the, we're going to go through a period here where the, the Republican Party is going to be in massive disarray after this one. I, I really believe um, they, it's going to take a while for them to come to grips with which way do they go. Do they continue these harsh, the harsh language of Donald Trump, where their base wants to be, that's why he won? Or do they go the direction of Jeb Bush, who said Im illegal immigration is an act of love and got laughed off the stage, but that's kind of where they need to go to, to survive as a party in, in the United States? Um, so I think for the, neck, for the foreseeable future, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for the Republicans to win the presidency. I don't mean that they can't uh, win the Senate, win Senate seats or, or House seats, but the presidency, I think, is falling out of their grasp. For, uh, it, it really has, they've only won once in the last six presidential elections. That was 2004. Gore won the popular vote in 2000. We give him that he won the electoral vote or that the Supreme Court made the decision, but he, he won it. But they lost. The only one they won was George Bush's a re-election campaign for president is the only vote that they have won in six, I mean, since 1992. They have not won anything except that one re-election vote. The demographics are declining for them every year. The, the uh, white vote in the United States declines two points every four years. So that narrow victory had, that Bush had in 2004, Kerry would have been elected with this electorate. He would have won that election in 2004. They would have won zero of, and Gore would have won going away. So you're now at a place where you, you know, it's more going to be an, an anomaly when the Republicans win. Doesn't mean they can't put up a candidate that can that can, uh, uh, you know, change the equation, or that a uh, uh, big scandal breaks out that destroys the Democratic candidate. But they they are it's an uphill climb for them. They have to fix their party, and I'm not sure that you know when Democrats went through this after Kennedy, the Kennedy-Carter fight in 1980, where we had the big fight between the two wings of the party. It was 12 years. It took 12 years to put that party back together and actually win the presidency. I think the Republicans this year, that's exactly what's going on. As, as you know, I shall be holding focus groups with different kinds of voters in various states around the country between now and November for uh, the British audience. You're an experienced political operative. Can you talk me through what you'd expect the two campaigns to be doing in terms of research at this stage 
and how that will feed into what the campaigns and candidates do on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I think this whole race right now is in the suburbs. Um, it's not in the cities. Clinton has those. It's not in the rural areas. Uh, Trump has those. It's in the suburbs, and it's with, uh, uh, shockingly, and this is a big shock, it's with college-educated whites. Um, that's where the whole battle is going to be, in college-educated uh, uh, suburban women. Uh, it, it is... That's not traditionally the battleground. The battleground traditionally in, dim, in a presidential race is at this stage, it, the undecideds and the movable people are, are, are less educated, blue-collar whites that tend to break uh, uh, to, to Democrats. Um, what's interesting about this election is that's not who the fight is over right now. It's, it is for the first time in since recording, you know, recorded polling, a Democrat is leading with college-educated whites. Um, that's never happened before. Hillary Clinton is winning college-educated whites. Um, the undecideds in this election are overwhelmingly college-educated whites. So it's a group that has always voted Republican, always, from the time we've been collecting data. They've always voted Republican. For the first time, a Democrat, Hillary Clinton, is winning them. And they're also the biggest block of undecided voters. So they're going to be the fight, and it's going to be suburbs. And that's why I think, um, I think that's one of the reasons you've seen uh, Trump start to try to moderate a little bit on the tone and the language, because he has to, he has to let, give those uh, those people some they're basically they should be voting Republican but they, they seem to be holding back because is he, is he a racist or is he using bigoted language or, you know it, I can't do that I can't vote for somebody like that well no I'm not see I'm looking look at me I'm, I'm trying to get African Americans to vote for me I'm, I've held my Hispanic council I'm, I'm not screaming at everybody. I mean, he's, I think his whole tone thing is about trying to pull those people back. Now, if he can do that, this is going to be a race. But if he can't, then it's probably going to be uh, much bigger uh, than people, much bigger victory for, for Hillary Clinton than people think. Well, Joe Trippi, thank you very much indeed for uh, sharing your thoughts. And, and uh, delighted to be part of this, and thank you for having me. To reflect on this week's presidential debate, we assembled two focus groups, one comprising people who had said beforehand that they would probably vote for Trump only while holding their nose, the other made up of completely undecided voters who didn't think much of either Trump or Clinton. Here's what they had to say about the debate, the choice they faced, and the two candidates. Well, I, I confirmed a lot of what, you know, the, the, uh, what I've been hearing about other people saying about Trump and Clinton. I didn't learn any necessarily any new facts. I mean, pretty much every fact that one would say, the other would dispute. So it became very difficult to know really what to believe. I wanted to see what their demeanor was. I think Hillary comes off as being completely condescending. Just the way she acts, her demeanor, like, why do I even need to be here bothering with any of this? I was very disappointed in Trump, but we're not... Um 
We're not electing a debater. I'm definitely not confident uh, with any of these candidates and what's happening. But I also don't think that the American people would let something catastrophic and ridiculous happen either. What we're seeing is the globalists on both sides are supporting Hillary against Trump, who's more for this country than a globalist. Um, and I think that's the big difference. And I think the people are tired of the globalists. I think we saw that in the British exit vote. I think it reaffirmed my voting. I was more split before last night, but then watching the way that Hillary is, I think she comes across really fake and really callous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of reaffirmed the choice to go with Trump. I think the you know, big difference between what we see in Trump and Hillary is that Trump is up there and he sh he's showing who Trump is. Hillary's up there and she's showing who that polished politician is, mm -hmm. you know, and then going behind the curtain and being her true self there. Right. Also, the fact that she's been a politician in our country for mm -hmm. since longer than I've been alive. Mm -hmm. And now she wants to talk about doing all of these things. Well, lady, you've been in office and that's what he's this been. long, you know? And that was something that I realized last night watching the debate that now she wants to talk about making jobs and making them count. I think I think there are enough protections in place, enough laws in place, um, and there's just enough power that's offset from the president that if Trump becomes president, I don't think it could go super super south on a um, on a domestic stage, but on an international stage with his brashness, yeah. with his you know insulting people, I'm not sure how well we would be doing a decade from now if he mm -hmm. became president. Whereas with Hillary. It's like, yeah, it's not great, but I'm, I'm, I kind of want to play it safe personally. You know, hearing Clinton continuously talk about closing loopholes and closing regulations mm -hmm. and talking about how he doesn't pay taxes versus him talking about reducing regulations and trying to make things easier for businesses. And uh, to me, that's a big difference between having a businessman who, who knows what it's like to mm -hmm. be an international business bringing, bringing business into the nation versus a lifetime politician. But I've seen a lot of things that even when her husband was in office, when she was running the first time, that she was so anti this. And then once the movement starts going that mm -hmm. way, she jumped on that bandwagon for votes. Trump, maybe I don't agree with all these things, but I think at least we're getting his honest opinion. I think he really does have good motives, as crazy as he is. He's a loose cannon, and he has no filter. But this is what's going to cause him votes. But at the same time, I know one side is going to be an abject disaster. My problem with his mouth is that, to me, a, a leader that's going to go abroad and speak and represent mm -hmm. our country mm -hmm. should have at least fairly decent communication skills and abilities, and I don't feel he has any of that. He doesn't. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. he says stuff and maybe it's not thought out right. And that's my thing. When he was first running, the first thing I thought was, oh, my goodness, how could he speak at, like, a world leader meeting with his Exactly. Mouth? That's what I worry about. But I do think he's smart enough, even though he might be not as smart as he thinks he is, to put the right people in the right place. In theory, he, you know, he might have good ideas, but he just cannot translate that to anybody. Yeah. Whether you're a woman, you're of color, of anything. If you're gay, good God. I mean, nothing. It could be good or it could be really bad. You just don't know which way the dice are going to go. I would be more enthused if uh, Ted Cruz or Carson mm -hmm. was up there. I would probably go volunteer. Okay. Mm -hmm. But him, I'm not going to volunteer. I've, I, it's like I said before, it's voting for the lesser of two evils. We wake up to find out that Donald Trump has been elected president of the United States. How do you feel then? 
Holy shit. What's the worst that can happen? He runs that yap and gets us in World War Three. Since the debate on Monday, the commentary here has been to the effect that Hillary more or less ran away with the debate and that she was the obvious winner. But I don't think that was the view of the groups we had of undecided voters. Trump really got a big pass for it being his first one-on-one debate. Hillary Clinton was a politician who had participated in about 40 debates previously, and voters know that, and they simply hold him to a quite different standard. The debates didn't really change perceptions of what people thought of Trump and Clinton anyway. They knew that they knew what they were going to get with Trump. And I think of the people who were holding their nose and leaning towards voting for him before, I don't think any of them were put off. But with Hillary, yes, she was more articulate and yes, she was more prepared and more fluent when it came to things like policy. But they knew that anyway. I mean, that's that's the downswell. That's the, the indication of being a politician who's been around the block for 30 years. And that's one of the things they want to try and get away from. She's falling into the same trap that she did in the 2008 primary When she was up against Barack Obama, she ran as the experienced candidate. Barack Obama was the change candidate. And again, this year, we're seeing history repeat itself because she, again, is running as the experienced candidate, but it's experience that voters just don't seem to want. And that was Trump's most effective line of attack in the entire debate among our undecided voters in the focus group. I think one of the other striking things is how little of this decision has got anything to do with policy. Nobody really mentioned it after the debates and I think of all the groups we've done so far I think you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of times any kind of policy has been mentioned at all it's much more about um, the candidate's character and their and their fitness to be president the only policy issue that comes up frequently is in the realm of national security undecided voters who are leaning towards Trump are uncertain about him just because of his temperament and so that's something that he really could remedy fairly easily if he would prepare for the debate and show up with some substantive policy, control his anger against Hillary Clinton, not respond and take the bait when she throws out an attack against him. But that's simply he is going to have to put in the time before this next debate if he wants to really move the numbers in his direction. People know what they're going to get with Hillary if she wins, and they know they're not very excited about it for the most part, and some of them are dreading it. Whereas with Trump, it could really go either way, as they say. It might be great. He might be a revelation but it might be a fiasco and he still scares some people when it comes to particularly as you say how he'll behave on the international stage i mean there was those was mentioned that he might start another world war by accident which is quite a big downside and these concerns were voiced by people who want to support him which makes me think that so many voters are approaching this election like they would rolling the dice at the craps table That's all for Ashcroft in America this week. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us with your comments, questions, thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America. And don't forget, you can follow what we're up to on our Facebook page. If you send your ideas of questions for our focus groups tweeting the hashtag Ashcroft in America, we can put your questions to the great American public. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America. We'll see you next week in Richmond, Virginia. (laughs) 